Um, yeah, so <laughs> here we are for another episode of Left Unread. <laughs> This is a, just a totally off the cuff, just a cold open. We were, yeah. man, in, in medias race. This is not the second try. Nope, nope, this is the first one. We're a first try kind of guy. Yep. Both of us <laughs> together. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Yeah, so welcome. Uh, it's funny uh, for you, gentle listener, uh, this does not seem like two weeks out from our last recording, but due to the 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 wonders of studio magic. Evan and I have not actually done a podcast in two weeks. Yep. Uh, I was Which, sequestered it really did away. Feel weird not doing one last week. Dude, it really did. <laughs> um, so this is episode 20. I was sequestered away in, in parts unknown. Yep. And, uh, on a and secret CIA mission, you were called. <laughs> I was, I was out on a secret CIA mission to, uh, to retrieve, uh, a video of, of Joe Biden taking a shit on Hooker. <laughs> um, he's and here's the thing. Here's the actually the thing about that. That's not even his fetish. His fetish is just one-upmanship. So like he just didn't like that the last guy was like accused of peeing on someone. And yeah. he was like, "Well, Mac, the only thing I can do to to get a leg up is." <laughs> well, I call it the steel dossier. <laughs> now we're calling it the brown dossier. <laughs> Took her to Brown Town, population two. I'm the mayor, and she's my secretary of state. <laughs> um, all right, so we're back, and uh, am I correct? Today we're wrapping up our, our arguably our, <laughs> not even arguably, like demonstrably our most yeah. Uh, yeah. successful serial episode. Yeah, yeah, today's episode, um, dear listeners of the Left on Red podcast, with Cam and Evan. Uh, today's episode is part four of our four-part series on the history of the kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth. And um, this will be the uh, when we finally get to be introduced to King Arthur, and it's one of the earliest Arthurian legends. But before we get too much further, I believe you have a story that you wanted to regale us with. Oh, yeah. I mean, so... This is a simple story, and it's a story that happened to me just a couple hours ago. Um, and then we also have an advertisement. <clears throat> so this episode's going to start yeah, with a lot of me. fuck the sponsors. Fuck the sponsors. We want to hear the story. So uh, I've gotten fat, dear <laughs> listeners. Um, it happens to the best of us, of which I am a member. Uh, and so I, I've, I've toyed with ideas over the, the, the last few months of how to stop being fat. Um, and what I found is that being a big, tall guy who's also fat uh, makes running pretty hard. So I was trying to find a way to do cardio that would allow me to, to get that under my belt but not uh, blow out my knees at 30 because I don't want to be, like, embarrassingly crippled. Uh, <laughs> Just hobbling around. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be, oh, it's my knees. Like, I'm not ready for that. So uh, I got a jump rope, and today was day <laughs> okay, one. As, of as I just hear my roommate walking up the stairs, and he goes, ah, shit, fucking ow. <laughs> <laughs> right, and we don't want that. That's not the kind of life that we want for ourselves. Um, and he's probably only walking up here to get, like, another pallet of fucking snack bags of pretzels or something um <laughs> we love you evan's roommate yeah. but so uh i decided to do jump rope which is supposed to be awesome and low impact because like both your knees take the the blow 
uh, every time you jump as opposed to one at a time. So um, it was cool. It was good. Uh, I have horrendous allergies. So I'm outside. I'm jumping rope. And the cardio is happening. I'm huffing and puffing. But that means I'm taking big, deep breaths. And I don't know if anybody out there has allergies. Um, this is a particularly bad year. And I have a big birch tree right in this, like the middle of my driveway, basically. Yeah. And birch trees toss a ton of pollen. So I'm out there taking these big, deep breaths. I'm huffing and puffing. And uh, it's finally time for me to take a break. And I have this little, like, camping chair that I have just set up in the backyard. Oh, and, man. Like, I was thinking this was, like, a, one of those white plastic chairs. It was a No, no. Camper. So in my defense, right, this is not – and you'll understand in a second, uh, listener. But in my defense, this is just a camping chair. And it's actually been out in, like, 15 rainstorms and is, like, completely sun-bleached and okay, yeah. threadbare and gets used by everyone in my house and my downstairs neighbor and – it's in a lovely spot. I'm going to have to get a new chair because we have like one little patch of beautiful nature in my backyard. And right there, we just had one chair where like <laughs> throughout the day, everyone takes turns sitting and enjoying whatever. Yep. Um, so I sit down in this chair and I'm like getting ready to crack a strawberry Waterloo and read a little bit of my book and then maybe get back to doing a little more, a little more jumping rope. Uh, and my throat's really scratchy because I've been taking these big, like, heaving fat guy breaths while I jump rope. And I've gotten so much pollen in the back of my throat. My throat is, like, swollen. And I feel a horrendous sneeze coming on. And so I, I cock back and I let rip. And I sneeze. Like, seriously, this was such an insane sneeze. Do you ever sneeze and, like... You know in, like, a cartoon when someone sneezes, like, stuff comes out? Yeah, dude, yeah, for sure. But sometimes in real life when you sneeze, a bunch of shit comes out. So yeah. a ton of fucking boogers and stuff comes out of my nose. And I sneeze so hard that it, like, shakes my body. <laughs> and I'm, like, pushing three bills. I'm a big fucking dude. And so I, I sneeze and it jerks my body. And I just, like, <laughs> my ass just bottoms out through the fucking <laughs> camping chair. And, uh, and so, like, I'm, like, stuck. My arms are up around my ears, and my knees are up to my chin. And I'm just sitting there looking around like a fucking rabbit, you know, caught in the headlights. And um, it takes me a second, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> it was just, it was such a bizarre occurrence. And so that chair is gone. I got to get a new chair. But also, it was, like, a combination of uh, really funny um Really embarrassing, but also like really good motivation to keep at the fucking jump rope. So uh, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna stick with that and hopefully drop a couple of lbs. Um, yep. So that, that's my that's my story. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, dude, it was it was, but it also was like definitely a moment where I was like, all right, like that good sucks thing I started that that jump roping today. Yeah, because I can blame it on the sneeze, but also, like, if the chair hadn't been stretched to its absolute <laughs> limits by the sheer bulk of my body, it wouldn't have been an issue. You know, if I was, like, a cool 210, we wouldn't have had that problem. So, yeah. um, oh, you know, God. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how the jump roping goes. I'll either yeah. get fatter or skinnier. There's no staying the same for me. That's yeah. what I've learned. So yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll see soon enough.
<laughs> uh, now, uh, now let's, uh, why don't we hear a word from our sponsors <laughs> to that All right, great story? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I would love to go back to back with that story because I do have a word from our sponsors. Um, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, are you sure? What's gonna happen here? <laughs> All I'm saying is, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> right, so today's episode is brought to you by Twirlin Merlin's Bespoke Hula Hoopery, the leading provider in sustainably sourced and traditionally handcrafted gyrating hip hoops. Since their founding in 1136 in Wales, <laughs> Twirlin Merlins have worked hard to balance cutting-edge innovation with traditional hand craftsmanship and materials to create the perfect gyrating hip-hoop experience. Wales has long been regarded by historians as the birthplace of the hula hoop. Hula, of course, meaning to dance with the hips in Welsh. And that legacy lives on through Twirlin Merlins' fabulous whalebone and cat-gut dancing hoops. <laughs> Truly, Nobody hoops like Twirlin Merlin. Now, for a limited time, input the code LEFTONRED1 at checkout and receive half off one of their brand new collection of patented hoop sheaths made from sheepskin so soft you'll swear it was lambskin. <laughs> and as always, their hoops come with a lifetime warranty. So if you wear yours out from hooping too vigorously, just give them a call and they'll hook you up. So keep wiggling those hot little hips of yours. And remember, it's like our motto says, in the twelfth year of the coming of the Devil's Comet from the anus of the white worm of Germany will spring the nine-stomached ass of despair, bearing upon its crinkled brow the diadem of utmost discomfort, whose many-faceted jewel shines more brightly than the tears of a virgin whore in the light of the full moon, reflecting the infinitely spiraling possible dooms that both will befall and already have befallen the thrice-spurned kingdoms of man, for it is only through close examination of the entrails of St. Christopher's goose that the trials and triumphs of the once and future king can be ascertained. And I mean, likely as not, it's all fine. It's going to end in fire anyway, so you may as well spend eternity hooping. <laughs> um, so thanks for, uh, for, for hooking us up, Twirlin' Merlins. I actually have one of those hoops myself, and I was going to use that in my driveway today instead of the jump rope. And I'm honestly yeah. glad I didn't because um, I don't know how I would have handled that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks, Torlin Merlin. Uh, the freshest yeah, they're good hoops people. since eleven thirty six. So yeah, man. A lot of people think that uh, hula hoops come from Hawaii because they, uh, by accident, have the same word hula for like a hip dance. Um, but it's actually definitely from Wales. Uh, anybody well, who who's knows, been man, to the, Wales, um, you know, those uh, Polynesians they got pretty far. Maybe, maybe they made it all the way to Wales. They actually, they might have, yeah. yeah. So actually, as the story goes, it was a Japanese fisherman who got lost in a storm who actually first discovered whales um, in 1980. Yeah. And so. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, that's why all their words are so weird. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for me for the episode, guys. So I'm going to go ahead and take my headset off. Uh, I'm going to go pee. That's actually real. I am going to go do that. Okay. And then, uh, then we can get going with the episode. Okay, great. All right. Yep. That cube is pretty squeaky.
when you get in and out. Yeah, the masturbation cube is uh, is not. It's pretty ramshackle. Yeah. Uh, I I whipped this together with about 15 minutes of forethought, uh, and about 40 minutes at Home Depot, and I. It, yeah. I mean, it served me well, but it's by no means like a permanent solution. Yeah. It's right. also really hot in here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, when when it only got up to like the mid seventies today without being humid, I was like, I was, oh, thank God. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, because two weeks ago, when we were fucking recording, uh, I don't even think it was actually that bad out. But when we were recording the fistula episode, I'm sitting here like fucking profusely sweating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it had cooled down a lot by the time we did the Alexander one, but yeah, um, for the Louis the Fourteenth episode. Dude. It was it was pretty gnarly. Yeah, I almost had to keep like a potting towel next to me to just yeah. wipe my head. And you can kind of hear in that episode, I was definitely trying to truck through it because yeah. it was miserable. It yeah. was really really hot up here. Yeah. So I do, anyway, I, I, I did uh, listening back to it too. I thought it was hysterical. You can continuously hear me just go like, "Oh Jesus fucking Christ!" <laughs> <laughs> and those are the kind of little uh, off kilter Easter eggs that. We know our, our listeners love. Yeah, our dear listeners. Our sweet, sweet listeners. All right, so returning back to the sunny and warm island of Great Britain. Mm. So uh, while I'm sure many of you know uh, the story of King Arthur, it's one of the most told ones in history. Halt! Who goes there? It is I, Arthur, son of Usa Pendragon from the castle of Camelot, king of the Britons, defeater of the Saxons, sovereign of all England. Pull the other one. I am, and this is my trusty servant, Patsy. Uh, this is uh, one of the earliest renditions of it, so there's a lot of it that isn't going to be what you expect. You know, a lot of things like the Knights of the Round Table, uh, things like Camelot and Lancelot, those were later editions. Uh, after, uh, really, it, it was in, like, French romance novels that you got a lot of that, or French romance. Oh, you know? Le Mont d'Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's when a lot of that stuff got added. So this is really just, like, Welsh folklore, and it mainly follows the exact same uh, pattern and theme as the rest of this book, which is largely stupid and hysterical. <clears throat> so. All right. When last we left... Uther Pendragon died. And so now uh, uh, where we'll pick up is the British leaders gathering to decide that Arthur should su succeed his father as king. And believe it or not, you know, because the last chapter was all about the Saxons coming and going and coming and going. But uh, always too soon. Yes. <laughs> they, <laughs> they had appointed a new leader and yet again, deigned to conquer the island. Now owning everywhere from the River Humber to the Caithness Sea, which is essentially Scotland and Northern England. Mm. So Arthur was only 15 years old, but his bravery and generosity were well known. In fact, he was so generous that he bestowed everything he owned on the people that followed him, and therefore, now owning nothing, decided to harangue the Saxons to refill his coffers. <laughs> so, so he gathered the armies of Britain and marched on York. 
So that's really funny. Imagine like you're hanging out with all your friends and they're like, dude, that's like a really sweet uh, PlayStation. You're like, oh, dude, honestly, have it. And they're like, cool, thanks. And then like your other friend is like, man, like that's a really cool like carved walking stick with a face of an old man in it. And you're like, honestly, man, it's yours. It's your And then they're like stick. in your room and they're like, wow, whose fur coat is that? And you're like, by all means, like, please take it. And then everyone's like, wow, man, he's such a good guy. And then, like, as they're leaving, they look over and see you just with, like, a balaclava on, like, smashing <laughs> smashing your neighbor's window and just <laughs> robbing the fuck out of them. That's that's sort of how yeah. I envision this moment. Yep. Um, so, uh, so, Colgrin, uh, who is now the leader of the Saxons, he gathered the Scots, the Picts, and all the Saxons for an assault to meet the Britons. Uh, but he was repelled and fled to the city of York, whereupon Arthur besieged him. Now, Colgrin's brother, Baldulf, attempted to attack the Britons, but was repelled, and so Baldulf disguised himself as a minstrel and ran around with a harp, singing and dancing, until he was able to sneak into the city. They realized together that they were screwed until the Saxon man Cheldrick showed up with 600 longships, and Arthur fled back to London to regroup. Arthur and his advisors decided to petition Hull, King of Brittany. <laughs> I know. I do those. <laughs> one, one more time. Hole. <laughs> That's a good name. All right. Yeah. Yep. Now, Hole is uh, famously one of the Knights of the Round Table, but again, you know, none of the you know the name the term Knights of the Round Table isn't. Wait, what? Story. Yeah. I've never heard of Sir Hole of the Round Table. <laughs> uh, they would, uh, they would, lo lots of them would have different names. This is the one that's kind of like early on, but a lot of okay. them would change in certain ways. But he, there, he does have like counterparts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Hole. Uh, so he's the King of Brittany, and Arthur, uh, Arthur and his advisors decide to petition him for help. Now, Hole, were you just checking to see, to, to fact check that? No, I was reading a text message totally unrelated to the episode because I'm not a good co-host. <laughs> okay. Um, so Hull, but I'm listening. I'm here. Yep. So Hull is distraught at these events, and he sends a massive fleet of 15,000 soldiers, and they, and they land at Southampton. Now, here's another bit of confusion in the tale. Jeffrey says Hull is the son of Arthur's sister in the King Boudicius. However... <laughs> <laughs> Boudicius and Hull? <laughs> 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 I am the great King Bodicius, and this is my, my son, son Hole. Hole. <laughs> um, They're probably pronounced like way nicer than we're saying them. Yeah, I, I mean, have to uh, keep, keep in mind these are also the Latinized versions of Welsh names. Right. Um, so Thorpe notes that uh, this should be read as the sister of Aurelius Ambrosius, thus making Hole Arthur's first cousin. Arthur's sister Anna was not married to the king of Brittany, but rather to Loth of Lodonesia, and had two sons, Gawain and Mordred. I did not mention this last episode, but it happened right at the end of the Uther Pendragon saga. So one of the things that you'll note is that Geoffrey, and whether it's Geoffrey or the scribes uh, uh, transcribing the work, they mix up, like, you know, the names. So, like, sometimes Hull is called his cousin, sometimes his nephew, but really it should be, uh, <clears throat> a hole should be Arthur's cousin. Why not both? Why not? <laughs> so anyway, after back and forth battles, with the advantage being to Arthur, the Britons drove the Saxons from the island and let them flee back to Germany. The Britons seized all their treasure as payment for letting them leave in peace. 
However, they quickly changed their minds, them being the Saxons, and they immediately turned around, landed back on the island, and began to purge the land of the Britons. Arthur, obviously pissed off, marched off to reconquer the land they had taken and to destroy the Saxons. He gave the following address to his men. Although the Saxons, whose very name is an insult to heaven and detested by all men, have not kept faith with me, I myself will keep faith with my God. This very day I will do my utmost to take vengeance on them for the blood of my fellow countrymen. Arm yourselves, men, and attack these traitors with all your strength. With Christ's help, we shall conquer them without any possible doubt. Arthur donned his armor to prepare for the battle, which included a shield named Pridwin, painted with the likeness of the Virgin Mary, a sword named Caliburn, which was the Latin name for Excalibur, peerless and forged on the Isle of Avalon, and a spear named Ron. <laughs> uh. Thirsty for slaughter. <laughs> oh my god. Yep. This is my sword, Caliber, and this is my spear, Ron. Ron. <laughs> the spear's just like, sir. Yes, sir, Ron. <laughs> this is my sword, Caliber, and my spear, Ron. Yo, what's going on? I'm Ron. Hey, uh, hey how's it going? You guys are, you plan are you planning on throwing me soon, or do I have time for <laughs> yeah. a smoke? Uh, so the battle was going dreadfully for Arthur until he charged up a hill, went berserk, called upon marrying God, and single-handedly killed 500 Saxons. His men then followed, and Baldulf and Colgrin were slaughtered as Cheldric fled. Sounds about right, yeah. Yep. Now, the Duke of Cornwall was sent to pursue the fleeing Saxons, but first he took their longships, and then ran after the Saxons as they scattered to the hills. Cheldric was killed, and any Saxon found was likewise slaughtered. Meanwhile, Arthur fled to the town of Alclud, where Hull, now ailing in health, was resting and where the Picts and Scots were besieging. Arthur successfully ended the siege, and the barbarians fled to Loch Lomond, where they had... It's uh, Loch Lomond, just so Loch you know. Lomond. Uh, Loch Lomond? Lomond? Loch Lomond. Okay. Uh, fled to Loch Lomond, where they, had among the many, uh, where they hid among the many islands only to be picked off by Arthur and his men. <laughs> uh, eventually, Arthur made peace with the Scots and Picts and allowed them some land to live. Arthur and Hull then discuss some cool bodies of water. Hull discusses a pool of water. Like, literally, they just like, yo, check out this cool water over here. <laughs> so Hull discusses a pool of water he found in Scotland that is a square with four different fish, each one only living in a specific corner. Then Arthur's like, you think that's cool? Arthur then <laughs> so then Arthur then tells Hull about a pool of water in Wales named Linligua, where the sea sometimes flows into it and is swallowed into the pit. And then when the tide ebbs, the water is shot into the air out of the pool. Uh, I kind of think he's just describing a tidal bore, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know what a tidal bore is. But that sounds pretty, they both sound pretty sweet. And actually, if I had to pick, yeah. uh, I can imagine the second one. The first one sounds pretty fantastical. Yeah. So that's the cool one to me. Did you say you don't know what a title bore is? I mean, I can picture it. I yeah. have like an I. You pretty much just described the mechanic by which it works. Yeah, like it's just like, like I, a wave tra uh, traveling against the current of like a river. Sure. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Um, also, just so you know, the only reason I know Loch Lomond is because yeah. there's a famous Scottish song, and oh, okay. you've probably heard it, where it's like, you take the high road and I'll take the low road. You know that song? Yeah. On the bonnie, bonnie banks of Loch Lomond. 
Yeah, oh, okay. Um, cool. So now yeah, I'll probably so just edit that out. <laughs> no, no, leave it in, dude. Leave it in. No, I'll probably just edit it out. Uh, just leave it in, dude. Um, Here's the thing, man. I like to put this on during sex. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that if that's in there. I don't know if I can do this if I know that that's what you're doing with it. <laughs> 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 wait, wait, wait. You just, is that what this is for? <laughs> <laughs> with, oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I'm suddenly remembering so many things you've said. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sound of my own voice for me. As long as it's the sound of your voice and not my voice. Well, Evan, not to be rude, but how could it be? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Many people tell me that, okay? I only put your podcast on to <laughs> The dulcet tones of... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Sorry. Um... Anyway. So, so after the pool talk with Arthur yeah. and Hull, uh, Arthur began setting about to remove all vestiges of the pagan Saxon rule over parts of the island, raising Christian nobles back to their lands, rebuilding the churches, and then he married Guinevere, who is a descendant of a noble Roman family and who Geoffrey claims was the most beautiful woman on the island. Hell yeah. So Arthur then sailed to Ireland to conquer it, and King Gilmarius met him on the battlefield with hordes of naked and unarmed Irishmen who were quickly hacked to pieces by Arthur's invasion force, and Ireland surrendered to British rule. And, like, I'm just I'm just picturing, like, you know how the Romans would just, like, light pigs on fire and send them off to, like, defeat elephants? Hmm. I'm just, like, picturing a bunch of just naked Irishmen running around screaming. As, as And then just being like, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Go, my nude men. Yeah. Go and repel these invaders to our beautiful nude land. Yeah. <laughs> and then Arthur's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> all right, all right. I guess just stab these guys to death, and just, then this yeah, place is ours. Yeah, just these naked guys. Um, so, yeah, anyway... Uh, then Arthur sailed to Iceland and conquered the peoples there, and then some Scan Scandinavian kings paid him homage. Now, I do want to say that uh, Iceland at this time was not populated. However, it would actually be Irish monks that initially inhabited the island. Uh, for Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're like, I, like, they were just like, m you know, monks that went there to like live peacefully on the island and like I don't know pray and then once the the Norse started coming over they all fled back to Ireland. No fucking way. Yeah, so like, I thought that it was like, like fifty Lee to hundred years before, like fifty to hundred years before the Norse got to Iceland, there were just some like Irish monk enclaves. No fucking way. Yeah. What did they do there? They literally they just like prayed and they drew some crosses and hundred like, percent they fucked shit. each other. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sucking and fucking like freaks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just eating grass and just. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Just Oof, sucking each other's shit dry on those black sand beaches. This is, this is easily our most erotic episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, left unread after Oof, hours. I'm telling <laughs> <laughs> Left and red PM. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is our fucking late night <laughs> X-rated podcast. Yeah. Oh man. XX extracurricular. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh my god. So in the year 69 BC. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. So uh so after his little Icelandic uh, uh detour, Arthur sets his sights on Norway to give the kingdom to his brother-in-law, Loth. Thorpe notes on this page that Geoffrey uh, that quote Geoffrey is in his usual confused state about Loth and Gawain. On two previous occasions, Geoffrey calls Loth Arthur's uncle by marriage. Now it's a brother-in-law. So we haven't talked about Gawain. So is yeah. Gawain his brother-in-law? I, I think it's his Because I know Sir Gawain is one of the Knights of the Round yeah. Table. I think Gawain is supposed to be Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gawain is his nephew. A little nephew okay. magic right there. And yes, Gawain is gotcha. one of the, the most famous of the Knights of the Round Table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, uh, so remember I was telling you about that movie, The Green Knight? Yeah. That's about Sir Gawain. Sir really? Gawain and the Green Knight. Nice. Have you watched that trailer yet? Uh, I, I haven't. Uh, remind me after this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So Arthur subdued Norway and Denmark, and then he raised Loth to the kingship of Norway. He then invaded Gaul and defeated the forces of the tribune Frollo, who was fighting on the side of the Emperor Leo. So now... Okay, this is like one of the classic examples of like Geoffrey just like being all fucked up with periods of time. Leo the First, he ruled. Um, he died around four seventy four, and mm-hmm. briefly his like six year old son Leo the Second ruled, but he also died in four seventy four. But there's going to be things happening here that like are definitely supposed to be in the early five hundreds. So and there wasn't another Leo until uh, Leo the uh, Leo the Syrian, who was in like the eighth century. But regardless, um, just know the emperor is supposed to be Leo. Okay. Okay. So Frollo fled to Paris and Arthur besieged the city. After a month of siege, Frollo challenged Arthur to single combat to determine the winner of the siege, and Arthur obliged. After a back-and-forth hard-fought battle, Arthur killed Frollo. Quote, He raised Caliburn in the air with all his strength and brought it down through Frollo's ham... Hamlet. Hel- it must be Helmet. <laughs> you must have meant Hel- Helmet. Yeah, I must <laughs> Okay, let's start that again. He raised Caliburn in the air with all his strength and brought it down through Frollo's Helmet. <laughs> Dude, get your shit together. Why can't you fucking read it? Let's just... Okay, here we go. fix this. Helmet. Okay. He raised Caliburn in the air with all his strength and brought it down through Frollo's helmet. And Frollo fell to the ground, drummed the earth with his heels, and breathed his soul into the winds. Damn, that's a pretty badass way to fucking die. Yeah. Arthur spent the next nine years conquering Gaul and doling out the lordships to his supporters. Arthur returned to Britain and had a huge ceremony where he placed the crown of the kingdom on his head. Thorpe notes Dubricius already crowned Arthur earlier in the narrative. And the feast hosts and the feast hosts all of the local kings and leaders of the country. Dude, so Jeffrey straight up writes about him getting crowned twice? Yeah. 
It's like, I, I love this man. He just through wrote this entire book. Like, yeah. at no point did he go back and proofread anything. He was like, chapter done. Okay, seriously, print it. I don't want to see it. <laughs> On to the next one. Yeah. Did we talk about it being crowned? Don't tell me. So he crowns him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So Jeffrey actually goes into a huge amount of detail about this feast. Like, seriously, like this is like George R. R. Martin shit. Um, but I will keep it brief, as it's all largely just descriptions with no major points. In typical Jeffrey fashion, he goes at great length, listing the names of all the kings and leaders that showed up. He notes the men and women ate separately, the men with the king and the women with the queen, as was the custom in ancient Troy. There were mock battles performed, bows and arrows, lance hurling, the tossing of heavy stones and rocks, and dice games. Sounds honestly like a pretty good party. Yeah, for real. It's like uh, <clears throat> cornhole and uh, what's the yeah. game? <laughs> Excuse me, the game that everybody likes where it's like uh, Cards Against Humanity? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that game sucks. Yeah. We tried playing that while I was on vacation. And we got literally like one turn in. And then my sister and I looked at each other and she was just like, can we play something else? This is like, this game is just it trying is to be... 2013 game line like you know what I well mean? it's like, just like it's so needlessly vulgar yeah in an attempt at humor that it like it kind of doesn't really achieve either thing like it's just like gross and that's it yeah you know and like we're playing with my mom and like having to explain like double penetration and it's just like all right let's just honestly yeah. no nope. let's just play monopoly yeah seriously yeah classic game yeah, yeah. we could tell better jokes and yeah. then just play a game that doesn't suck. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So at the end of the feast, some envoys showed up carrying olive branches, uh, but they extended a letter to Arthur, uh, to Arthur, to Arthur, from the procurator of Rome, Lucius Hiberius, who commanded Arthur to appear in Rome to await judgment after failing to pay tribute and instead conquering Roman territory. <laughs> Cador, Duke of Cornwall, thought this was awesome because the Britons were getting sloppy and weak without an adversary, so he was more than happy to have the Romans bring a fight to them to rehone their skills. Arthur adds an arousing speech to his men that nothing that is acquired by force and violence can ever be held legally by anyone. Thorpe adds in a note that in view of Arthur's recent activities in Europe, this is a very bland statement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, all of my stuff is legal, but, like, they can't. <clears throat> yeah. You oh, guys know what I'm trying to say. Thorpe was getting sassy these last few chapters. Yeah. Um, so Arthur continues that since Britain once sacked the city of Rome under Brennius and Bellinus, maybe it should be Rome that pays tribute to Britain. Uh, so now we get some word salad from Hull, king of the American Britons. And this is, like, this is, like, the most nothing statement you can ever, like, hear. We shall be defending our liberty when in all justice we demand from our enemies what they have sought from us in the first place. Whoever tries to steal from another the things which are that other's may justly lose to the other whom he is attacking the things which belong to him personally. <laughs> Since the Romans propose to remove from us that which is our own without any doubt at all, we, on the contrary, shall take from them what is theirs. That is, if we once have a chance of meeting them in battle. 
Like, so dude, it's like, okay, it's like, so dude, it's like a Pete Buttigieg answer at a debate or something. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like an Obama speech. Yeah, where, you know, it's, just where like, it's just like, I just want you all to feel like this is a very impressive speech. Yeah, I'm not actually saying anything. Yeah, it's but like here after it is. after 30 seconds, you're like, bravo. He is just. Wow, what a Wait, what good the fuck did he say? Speech. Huh? <laughs> Wait, more drone strikes? <laughs> yeah. Did oh, we just agree uh, to that? It sounded good at the time. Yeah. Well, he said it with when a lot of confidence. When all this guy is saying is like, hey, so, um, we're, so, they're gonna, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They want to take our stuff, but what if instead, <laughs> we, uh, what if instead we went there and we, and yeah. we took their stuff? All right, stuff? so first, okay, so, so first <laughs> off, you can't just come over and, um, wait, hold on, let me start. Uh, if they come here, okay, wait, no, uh. If they come here and try to take our stuff, then we um, uh, do not take our stuff, please. Because <laughs> we, well, we're actually we're gonna take your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like a. And everyone's whole... just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all just drunk and like, how the fuck yeah, said, hole. But, but he really <laughs> believed it. <laughs> um, all right. So Augustulus, king of Albany, agreed with all present to fuck the Romans up. And, like, honestly, it's pretty bold of him to get involved because it's a long way from upstate New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh, the greater, uh, the Great Lakes Kingdom, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he came over and just, and they ate garbage plates. Yeah. Uh, or is that Rochester? That's Rochester. Yeah, that's Rochester. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All right. And then uh, everybody else at the party agreed, and they all committed truly astonishing numbers of armed men, totaling close to 200,000. And now... Thorpe gets into a really long footnote, and I do want to talk about it because it kind of gets into maybe some of the inconsistencies aren't just because of Jeffrey, but also the way that new copies of books were made, you know, prior to the printing press. Mm -hmm. So the actual number when adding up what everybody pledged was around 270,000, though Jeffrey gives the number around 180,000. Thorpe notes this is likely not another error of Jeffrey's, but rather that the scribes working with the original manuscripts kept making more and more mistakes when writing new copies of the book, since the figures were in Roman numerals. And I thought this was a cool look into how ancient and older works of literature over time develop these artifacts that can come to change the nature of the story. You know, it's a reason there are different versions of the Bible that have fairly significant deviations from each other between being translated and retranslated and scribes copying from one another, often as someone stands at the front of the room dictating the story and a scribe feverishly tries to keep up in writing theirs. It's kind of like in, in last episode when we were talking about um, when Ptolemy is, is dictating like the entire yeah. plot of the movie. And this poor just some guy is like, like holding a hundred pound lectern. He's carrying like an oak desk around and like writing, and then he's just like, actually throw that page away. And the guy's like, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> and then some other guy around him with an inkwell, and he's like dipping his pen in the inkwell. Yeah. And that guy's like, yeah, my dad was an ink guy. Uh, his, his dad, his was, dad an was an ink guy. guy. It's ink guys all the way down. His dad was a was a was a boy whore, but before <laughs> that, all inkwell guys all down the line. Yeah. Yeah, he was actually the well. <laughs> the well into which the quill was dipped yes. rather than the bearer of said well. The ink uh, to the Erastes. Oh, God. <laughs> um, 
so Arthur sent word using the Roman messengers that not only was he not paying tribute, but that he was on his way to Rome not to receive judgment from the Romans, but rather to take what he was owed from them, which is pretty baller. That's basically what uh, what Hull just said in his speech. Yeah. They're yeah. going to come here to take to take from us, and what if instead we went there and we took from them? Yeah, except Hull like, just this said guy, it. man, but he's in Hull charge took for like a 10 minutes to say it, you know? Uh, he's just like wasted and just talking nonsense, just like Absolutely. dribbling on himself. Uh, so the Romans called in all the forces from the rulers that owed them as their liege and began preparing an invasion of Britain. Arthur, after setting sail, had a dream about a dragon killing a bear, which his men said meant that Arthur would kill a giant. Lo and behold, one comes storming out of Spain and snatches up the niece of Duke Hull and takes her to Mont-Saint-Michel. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so Arthur scales the mount and sends his cupbearer, Bedivere, another knight of mm -hmm. the round table, to a second mount where a fire is lit and there Bedivere finds an old woman who tells him he is a fool for coming and will suffer, quote, some unheard of form of death when the foul beast returns to kill them both as he did the duke's niece. Uh, then she also says that the giant was apparently raping this old woman on the regular since the duke's daughter died. <laughs> just, like, just like super fucked up. Uh, so Bedivere returned to Arthur to tell him the grim news and Arthur rushed off to face the Wait, giant. you mean the niece? What? What? Oh yeah, the duke's, uh, yeah, sorry, the niece, not the daughter. So the giant took the niece. Yep. The giant's The giant kills the niece. Yeah, and then the and then there was an old woman there, and he also that he also took, and then he has his way with the old woman every night. <laughs> He's a giant. Yeah, poor old woman. <laughs> oh, maybe back then old meant like thirty six. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Here's hoping. Yeah. She's Louise. Yeah, that poor old woman. And she and all she does all she says is like, dude, get the fuck out of here. He's gonna come back and kill you and then yeah. fucking get me again. Um this so, is gross. Yeah. So Bedivere returned to Arthur to tell him the news, and Arthur rushed off to face the giant and told Bedivere and the other squire to stay back unless Arthur needed them. Arthur finds the giant absolutely going to town, eating a bunch of pigs roasting over a fire. Like, he's just, like, spit-roasting one while eating another, just, like, an entire entire troop of pigs. That rocks. Yeah. And uh, Arthur does battle with him. Uh, he kills it, and then he has Bedivere cut uh, cut its head off to bring back as a trophy, like he's Geralt of Rivia or something. Dude. <laughs> yep. Shouts out to my boy, the yep. number one video game protagonist of all time. Yeah. Uh, so Jeffrey tells the story of a giant named Retho, that Arthur had killed once. Uh, this Retho had a fur cloak made of the beards of the kings he had conquered in single combat before Arthur killed him. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and uh, the giant had even told Arthur, he's like, listen, if you, you want to be a bitch and not fight me, I know you're a big tough king, just cut the beard off, I'll take it. Yeah. Tell. Wait, he yeah. says that? Yeah, yeah, he's like, just cut your beard off and I'll take it, don't worry about it. Yeah, you don't <laughs> even have like... to fight me. Just give me your fucking beard, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that rocks. And then Arthur's just like, ain't nobody taking my beard. <laughs> In fact, what if, in what if instead of you coming beards. to take my beard, um, then what if instead I came and took your beard? <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Uh, so Arthur and his force ended up camping nearby the Emperor's force once they had continued on their way. And Arthur sent as envoys his nephew Gawain, Bozo of Oxford, <laughs> and Garen of Sharp to tell Lu- uh, Lucius, <laughs> I know, <laughs> to tell Lucius to either retreat from Gaul or prepare to fight. Lucius's nephew, Gaius Quintilianus, muttered that Britons were better at boasting, boasting and making threats than they were at proving their courage and prowess on the battlefield. Gawain, hearing this, drew his sword and lopped off Gaius's head. The three Britons ran out and, while being pursued on horseback, killed their pursuers. A one Marcellus Mutius was threatening Gawain from the rear to take vengeance on Gaius, and so Gawain turned around and killed him, telling him, when he got to hell, to tell Quintilianus that this is why the Britons were so good at boasting and making threats. That's badass. There's some <laughs> yeah, really cool moments in this. Yeah, this was by far the coolest chapter. Like, yeah. It was legitimately awesome. Uh, so some 6,000 Britons had hidden in the woods, and as more Romans pursued the British envoys, the Britons came out of the woods and attacked. Senator Petraeus, which I, <laughs> I just kept picturing General Petraeus. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he got 10,000 Romans heading to attack this British sneak, and the Britons initially retreated before suddenly turning back, showing their chests now to the same Romans to whom they had previously presented their backs, and doing their level best to deal mighty blows in the most manly way possible. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, eventually the battle, ebbing, ebbing and flowing for both sides, takes a turn for the Britons as Bozo captures Petraeus and other Roman leaders in a skirmish, bringing the spoils back to Arthur to great applause. The Britons attempted to retreat further away to keep their captives safe, but were ambushed by a 15,000-man detachment of Romans, led by two senators, Evander, king of Syria, and Sertorius, king of Libya. Two senators and those two. Those obviously weren't the senators. Gotcha. While the battle looked bad for the Britons, suddenly Guitard, the duke of the Poitvin, came with reinforcements. The Britons would win the battle, killing a senator and Evander, and taking many captives while killing scores of others. Lucius Hiberius, harangued by anxiety and unwilling to wait for reinforcements from Emperor Leo, decided to hightail it out of there, and so Arthur rushed forward, trying to cut him off before he reached the city of Autun. Arthur set up, uh, set up at Sousi and arrayed his troops, giving them a rousing speech to incense them to beat the piss out of the Romans. <laughs> Lucius Hiberius, learning of the trap that Arthur had laid, found his courage, or stupidity, and decided to fight right there where Arthur had picked out himself. Uh, himself giving a rousing speech to his troops to beat the piss out of the Britons. As usual, Geoffrey just goes at length naming all the commanders of both armies and exactly where they are drawing up their command and what part of the army. Geoffrey's absolute favorite thing to do is just prattle on with names. So once the melee began, the Britons were immediately on the worst of it. Bedivere was killed, and yet another right of the knight of the round table. Kay the Seneschal, mortally wounded, trying to avenge uh so yeah i'm not sure if i mentioned k before he continually pops up uh, uh with very minor parts uh which are usually not worth mentioning but he is yeah. sir k he's i think um in the later like retellings of the story he yeah. is like arthur's adopted brother yeah. so like after arthur is after arthur's actual father dies oh. right yeah and there's this whole thing with the sword and the stone yeah. Um, and Arthur is raised by a different knight who I forget who that is. His son is Kay. 
Yeah. And K is sort of like his older adopted brother who's like supposed to be the big deal knight of the family. Yeah. But then Arthur pulls the sword from the stone and K is like, oh shit. And like ends up becoming one of his like closest allies. Yeah. But that's yeah. all probably newer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He he's known as Sir K in like a lot of those uh new newer retellings. In this one, yeah. he's K the Seneschal. And a seneschal is what, like a, like someone's like right hand man or like yeah. he's a steward or something. Yeah, like that. something like that. Yeah, yeah, like so he's steward. he's like even in like this a, he's got like a rank. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of like always with with Arthur, like taking care of um, right. a lot of the uh, um, sort of like administrative functions. Like his capo, like his, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. You know, or his consigliere. His consigliere. Yeah, like Tom Hagen. Yeah, exactly. Fuck yeah. <laughs> or uh, Silvio Dante in there The Sopranos. <laughs> uh, so now Hyrelgis, the nephew of Bedivere, goes into a nephew bloodlust in order to avenge his fallen uncle, a bloodlust that can only be triggered in a nephew after witnessing the death of his beloved uncle. Yeah, uh, whom's yeah. among us, man? Yeah, That's... we're getting some uncle magic in this story right I'm now. I'm telling you, nobody goes after my uncles and gets away with it. Yeah, dude. Yep. Uh, so he gets to the King of the Medes, the man who killed Sweet Bedivere, kills him, drags his body back to the British battalions, and there hacks it to pieces next to his poor Sweet Uncle's body. <laughs> now, fully enraged, he exhorted his countrymen forward as they all have a newfound rage boiling over, and they eviscerate the Romans, although they took great damage themselves. Yeah, so... Uh, just want to pour one out for K, K and Bedivere, two fallen knights of the Round Table. Mm -hmm. So eventually, the Britons had to retreat some and regroup before pressing another charge and killing swaths of Romans until they got to the Emperor's bodyguard, whereupon they were quote sadly mauled. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. So now Hole and Gawain, two more knights of the Round Table, then went on to a uh, uh, then went on a rampage absolutely slaughtering Romans left and right to avenge the dead. Uh, it honestly reminded me of, um, like, uh, Lucius Polo and Titus Varinus from Caesar's The Bella Gallico and the show Rome. Ti Titus Polo and Lucius Varinus? Yeah. Dice. Did you say Lucius Polo and Titus Varinus, you said? Did I? That's funny. I think so. Maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy. We'll just know. listen. I'm going to leave them both in, and yeah, fuck I'll it. either sound like an asshole or yeah. I'll be right. And uh, yeah. either way, I think it's good listening. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because, like, so both the, both of them were in Caesar's The Gallic Wars, and they tell right. a story of the two of them just hacking Gauls, uh, just, like, trying to one-up each other. And that was basically what this was. Also, you can think of it as uh, Gimli and Legolas. Just like, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, they were just going back and forth, hacking left and right. and like, Whoever thought I would die beside an elf. Yeah. What about beside a friend? Fuck no. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. still gross not no, doing it. Dude, no, not friends with an elf, dude. <laughs> what did uh, I just say? Not with an elf. Yep. So eventually, Gawain would meet Hiberius in single combat, and the two would battle for a long time before more Romans closed in. And then Arthur himself showed up swinging Caliburn around, and he shouted, What the devil are you doing, men? Are you letting these effeminate creatures slip away unhurt? Not Hell one yeah. must escape alive. And now I'll read another part from the book that was awesome. Please do. As he shouted these insults, and many others, too, Arthur dashed straight at the enemy. 
he flung them to the ground and cut them to pieces. Whoever came his way was either killed himself or had his horse killed under him at a single blow. They ran away from him as sheep run from a fierce lion, whom raging hunger compels to devour all that chance throws in his way. Their armor offered them no protection ca capable of preventing Caliburn, when wielded in the right hand of this mighty king, from, f from forcing them to vomit forth their souls with their lifeblood. Ill luck brought two kings, Sertorius of Libya and Polites of Bithynia, in Arthur's way. He hacked off their heads and bundled them off to hell. Wow. That rocks. Yeah. Now, the Britons, uh, who are now slaughtering the Romans, would then see the Romans double in their effort and take it back to them. The battle ebbing and flowing this way until Morvid, Earl of Gloucester, flanked the enemy and broke them. Lucius Hiberius himself was killed by an unknown soldier, and the Romans were scattered. Among the dead Britons were Bedivere, Kay, who was mortally wounded and died soon after, and Holden, Duke of the Ruteni. Lucius Hiberius himself was returned to the Senate with the proclamation that no other tribute could be expected. Shit. <laughs> yeah. They sent him back and were like, this is Here's the last tribute. thing you're going to get from us. Yeah, this is your this tribute. Dead your dead dude. emperor. <laughs> Damn. Uh, Arthur began subduing some local Gauls when suddenly his dark and fallen nephew, Mordred, decided to proclaim himself king and take Guinevere as his own wife. Geoffrey then breaks the fourth wall and refers to himself in third person, saying, About this particular matter, most noble duke, Geoffrey of Monmouth prefers to say nothing. He will, however, in his own poor style and without wasting words, describe the battle which our most famous king fought against his nephew once he had returned to Britain after his victory. I wonder why he said that. Maybe, like, his patron had, like, married his aunt or something. <laughs> and he, no, seriously, like, yeah. maybe it was because something like that had happened. And he was like, so, yeah, I mean, like, this is the story, but, like, not that there's anything wrong with that. And let's just skip it. Honestly, yeah. are you guys cool with that? We'll just skip it. We'll just, we'll, we'll move past it. We're just going to move past it. Yeah. Um, and let's just get to the battle. So in a shocking twist, Mordred allied with, guess who? The Scots, uh, the Picts, and the Irish, and he invited Chelric the Saxon to bring more German pagans to the island to be settled, you guessed it, between the Humber and Scotland. Poor Northumbria, dude. Mm. So Arthur landed and immediately did battle with the revolting nephew Mordred, and Gawain and Augustulus were killed in the mayhem. Poor one out for Gawain. Mordred was scattered and defeated, but he would regroup as Guinevere took the vows to become a nun. She's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Mm. <laughs> um, Arthur continually did battle with Mordred, beating him each time, but Mordred would get away with his men before being routed. Finally, in Cornwall, their battle to determine the kingship and future of Britain took place. Arthur himself would lead the charge, uncle against nephew, at the end of the battle that killed Mordred and slaughtered his men. Damn. Many fell in the ensuing mayhem, including Chelric, Cassivallaunus, who is not the same one as episode two, uh, and Arthur himself was mortally wounded. He would be carried to the island of Avalon and die in the year 542 CE, which I will know is about 65 years after Emperor Leo I died. So, <laughs> and Emperor Leo II, his grandson, only ruled for about 10 months before he also died. 
both in the in the year 474. Mm. But this was supposed to be right after, you know, that last battle. Uh, right. Now, there would not be another Emperor Leo until Leo the Syrian in the 8th century. So I'm not exactly sure Jeffrey's timeline in the story is sound. <laughs> and so yeah, passes is, uh, Arthur of Britain. Jesus. So that that's nothing like any King Arthur shit that I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is like before... Uh, like, you know, really, you get those, like, the French romance version of Arthur. Right. You don't get Camelot. You don't get Lancelot. Um, it, it, the sword is called Caliburnus, and he just has it when he's 15. Yeah. You know. It's, there's no Lady of the Lake. Yep. There's no, uh, the, there's no. And Merlin table. hasn't, like, come back. No, no, he's, he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Merlin's just gone. He just, just yeah, they just never mentioned him again. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, actually, no, I did lie. There is a brief mention of him right at the end. Um, so, yeah, so continuing uh, on to the Saxon domination, the final, you know, Saxon victory. Absolutely, because you know it had to happen, folks. Yep. <clears throat> I mean, they just kept trying, and God damn it, you have to respect them for their pluck. Yep. Uh, they got a lot of longships that they keep sending. They have sent, like, a thousand longships no, to No, way England. more, dude. Like, way more. Throughout the story... They've probably sent like 2,500 longships or something. Where are they getting all these trees? I don't fucking know. And all these guys to build these long ships. Yeah. Anyway, so Arthur's cousin Constantine, son of Cador, Duke of Cornwall, would become king after Arthur. Immediately, Mordred's sons and the Saxons rose up in rebellion before being quickly subdued. And then as they fled, they were harassed and struck down by Constantine, who would later die after only four years on the throne. He was buried next to Uther Pendragon at Stonehenge. Hell yeah. A couple of kings to dig up from under that fucking shit. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dog. I'm going to dig them king's bones up. You know I talked about that. That's yeah, my the dream. king's bones. Yeah. I've always dreamed of digging up a king's bones. Yeah. Um, so the island would then fall to constant civil war and invasions, with Geoffrey rattling off a number of kings and especially throwing blame at uh, Malgo whose homosexuality was such a oh. sin that it invited even more civil strife. <clears throat> With Saxon now, invade... I'd like to take a brief moment to just say, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Don't blame Malgo. Yeah, seriously. Especially not in Pride Month. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey, Jesus I mean, read Christ. the room, Jeffrey. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the views put forth by Jeffrey of Monmouth... Are not those of the Left Unread podcast? Nah, man. We're very live and let live kind of guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then uh, uh, more Saxon invasions uh, came, and then the Irishman Gormand, king of the Africans, invaded the island after having conquered Africa. So some, some Irishmen went to Africa, conquered them, and then he became king of the Africans. Hell yeah. Which yeah. makes a lot of sense, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot in the archaeological record to indicate that this that this happened. Yeah, yeah. A lot of um, red hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so between the Saxons and Gormand, the island would be flood would be flooded with heathens and pagans. Once the Africans and Saxons had conquered the island, the Britons were forced to flee to Cornwall and Wales. Now our boy Saint Augustine of Hippo shows up, which I like yeah. cheered at this part. I was like, "Fuck yes, dude! I love Augustine." Yeah. Um, I don't remember him much, but I remember uh, we learned about him a lot in college. I mean, the dude sucked and fucked so much that he had a religious experience and then became like a saint. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, he was just, like, stealing oranges, like, eating citrus and just banging everything. And then he was finally like, you know what? I'm spent. Time to become a man of God. <laughs> but not just a man of God. Like, like the, the man, man of God. God. Like, probably the most famous saint of all time. Other all than right, like, guys. Yeah. Let's, uh, seriously... We're packing it away, okay? Let's, I don't uh, think I got a drop left in me, boys. <laughs> time to get real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So St. Augustine of Hippo shows up uh, to preach Christianity as the island was now overrun with pagans outside of the British lands. Uh, Augustine asked the Britons to help him preach to the Angles, and he was roundly told to fuck off. Um, basically, they said, uh, like, we have less than nothing in common with the Angles. And the Saxons are pigs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do also want to say, this is the first time Jeffrey uses the term angles. Suddenly, yeah. the angles are on the island. Yeah, And it's very confusing. Yeah. I think, I don't know, but I think Jeffrey began using angle as the term for Saxons who were in Britain. Okay. And Saxons were the ones in Germany. Now, that's not true. Angles... Right lived like uh, a little bit north of the saxons there are all from people. around like, like it's where Denmark the term anglo-saxon comes from and where yeah. the name england comes from if everybody listening wants to you know wants to know yeah the angles and the saxons and the jutes were yeah. three northern germanic or i guess we could say southern scandinavian no tribes they were germanic they were all germanic yeah, they were well the scandinavians are germanic yeah, yeah. too i'm just saying they were, they were from you know south of denmark that whole area and they, they well, well they, the jutes were like up at the top of the peninsula yeah. That, that peninsula of Denmark on mainland Europe. And then the Angles were under them, and then the Saxons under them. And they came and conquered England, and now it's the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah. Although I do like to call the Jutes the Utes. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's sure. better. Yeah, fair anyway. enough. <laughs> you call um, them whatever you want, bud. Yeah. That's just because just I like to say Utes. Mm -hmm. um, but What is a Ute? <laughs> Uh, so my cousin Vinny reference. I don't know if you, you didn't get it. You didn't oh get it. shit! Okay. It is. That's <laughs> yeah, yep. okay. It's all right. Yep. Um, so Ethelfrid, king of the Northumbrians and a Saxon, for some reason was bent out of shape about this, and he started fucking with the Britons and the few territories they had left. Eventually, he was wounded and forced to flee, with the Britons in pursuit under King Cadvan. Once they were ready to battle, however, they decided to split the island up and would become great friends uh their sons cadwallo and edwin uh they would both become kings and while initially friends they would come to war over the island and cadwallo had to flee to ireland cadwallo continually attempted to return to britain but every time he tried to land on the island there was edwin ready to meet him you see <laughs> edwin he had a little magician friend from spain those nice treacherous spaniards uh, whose name Not was... to be trusted. Yeah. The Portuguese. No, those are trustworthy peoples. If you got a Portuguese magician... Yeah. Okay, first of all, yeah. the best magician. Yeah, first of all, his name would be something like Bacalao Joao, and he would be <laughs> the greatest magician and super funny. <laughs> he would probably have a catchphrase, like every time he did a spell, he'd be like... Epa, wham a dam, a slam a bam, and then he would do a fucking spell. It would be awesome. So no, every time like if he like killed somebody, he would just be like, so I take another second's look and I say, Epa, 
That guy's, that guy's a dead. We spoke exclusively with Antero Deos, who has worked for Burgi's Seafood on Hassey Street since 1995. He says he came to work shortly before 8 and made the gruesome discovery. When I look down, I see the guy over there. Oh, right there. But I don't know if he's alive, he's swimming. We don't know nothing. Right. I take another second look. I said, hey, but that guy is dead. I don't see no movement. Wow. Try to get up. I see that guy's dead. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, whereas this Spanish guy probably just looks down his nose at you and is like, you can't do magic. Yeah. The Portuguese guy's like, hey, man, magic is for everybody. Yeah. Epa, why are you going to say that I can know what I do with the magic? Hey, what's the matter with you, man? You got to tell me I kind of do magic, huh? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so this uh, this uh, Spaniard magician's name was Pelatus, maybe Peatus. Uh, and he was warning Edwin of every move Cadwalla was making until finally Cadwallo wandered to the island of Guernsey. Cadwallo, ailing in health... <laughs> okay, the story I'm about to tell you, you would think this is some sort of, like, Chekhov's gun situation. Mm-hmm. No, it never comes back. Okay. <laughs> so Cadwallo, ailing in health, asked his nephew Brian to fetch some game from the island, and as Brian was unable to find any, he cut some flesh off of his thigh, cooked it, and told Cadwallo it was game. Cadwallo, apparently not noticing this kid's limp, uh, I guess just fucking loved it and ate that shit up happily. They then traveled to Brittany. I thought something about him being a cannibal yeah. was going to come up later. No, that's it. Right. Like, oh, you, you ate the flesh of a man. You, you're you nope. cursed it's, or something. Nope. It's just a nephew doing a solid for his uncle. His yeah, and honestly, uncle. if I was in that same situation, I can't say I would behave any differently. Yeah, he was just trying to do a solid for his hungry uncle. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. uncle's hunger must be satiated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. At all costs. <laughs> yeah. So once in Brittany, a long dialogue occurs where Cadwallo asks King Solomon for help to retake the island, and Saloman basically says that the Britons have become weak and unable to stand atop the shoulder of such former greats that migrated to Brittany and have held their kingdom. Cadwallo then gets into like an essentialist argument about the nature of the Britons, uh, as the good ones were forced to leave Britain and conquer Gaul, and only the weak men were left behind to tend the island, so it naturally follows that even all these generations later, the Britons of Britain are essentially weak and corrupt. However, they both can trace their line directly to Arthur of Britain's knights, and so they should team up. And Edwin is like, oh yeah, shit, you're, you're right. And he suggests Brian should, uh, should sneak back onto the island and kill the Spaniard magician Pilatus. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yep, so Brian travels to York. Uh, he chances upon his sister, uh, who she helps him plan and successfully kill Pelatus. He escaped the city, and Cadwallo landed on the island and began reconquering. Edwin marshaled his kinglets. Hmm. <laughs> it's just an incredible phrase that yeah. Jeffrey uses. The little kinglets on the island. Kinglets. Yeah. Come forth, my kinglets. <laughs> <laughs> Time to help Daddy retake his home. Yeah. <laughs> so so he battles Cadwallo. Um, but however, Cadwallo... Uh, uh, who... Sorry. <laughs> So Edwin marshaled his kinglets, and then he battled Cadwallo, but he was easily killed, and his army routed. Cadwallo then basically annihilated the Ang- Angles and reconquered all of his land, consistently dispatching with whomever succeeded to the Northumbrian throne, until finally someone showered him with gifts and begged for peace. His name was Oswy. 
Mm. Um, I do want to note here that it seems like Jeffrey is using the terms Angles and Saxons suddenly, whereas up until this chapter, unless I missed it, he only used the term Saxons for anybody coming from Germany. But, you know, we already went over this, so... Uh, yep, uh, Angles and Saxons aren't the same unless you're Jeffrey of Monmouth. Mm-hmm. And then they might be. Yeah, and then they might be, or they might not be. I don't know. It just seemed random uh, what which term he would use. Sometime he would refer to somebody as Saxons, and later in the sentence as Angles. Um, so, uh, regardless, Cadwallo made a peace with Oswy, current king of Northumbria, but now some scheming by other kings in Britain is going to have Oswy killed, led in battle by a Pianda, king of the Angles in Mercia. Pianda claims that Oswy is looking to bring more Saxons to Northumbria. One of Cadwallo's advisors tells him to allow this war between the two to finally rid the island of all the Angles. Uh, Pianda got fucking wrecked and died, like, immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, Cadwallo dies and is succeeded by his son, Cadwallader. Cadwallader ruled well until he fell ill, and then the perfect storm of civil war, pestilence, and famine tore the countryside to pieces. People unable to grow crops or bury the numerous dead dying of plague. Quote, the few wretches left alive gathered themselves into bands and emigrated to countries across the sea. Standing beneath the corded sails, they raised their voices in lamentation. Thou hast given us, O God, they shouted, like sheep for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathens. Yeah, dude. Yep. So now... You guys <clears throat> fucking finding out this is a vengeful God. Yep. So now Codwallader, as his men are leaving, he and, he and all the Britons... He gives a speech that I want to read because it was really good. Uh, So King Cadwallader himself, sailing off to Brittany with his miserable fleet, made his own contribution to this lamentation. Woe unto us sinners, he cried, for our monstrous crimes, with which we never stopped offending God as as, as long as we had the time for repentance. The vengeance of his might lies heavily upon us, even to the point of uprooting us from our native soil. We whom the Romans long ago, the Scots, the Picts, and the Saxons, and their cunning treachery, were unable to exterminate. The fact that we have so often rescued our fatherland from these people now avails us nothing, for it is not God's will that we should rule there for all time. When he, the true judge, saw that we had no intention of putting an end to our crimes, and that all the same no one could drive our people out of the kingdom, he made up his mind to punish us for a folly. He has visited his wrath upon us, and as a result of this, we have emigrated from our homeland in vast crowds. Come back, you Romans. Return, Scots and Picts, and you too, Ambronies and Saxons. The door to Britain now lies wide open before you. The island, which you could never capture, stands empty now through the wrath of God. It is not your valor which is forcing us to leave, but the power of the Supreme King, whom we have never ceased to provoke. Which I liked because it pretty much just sums up the entire book. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it's just the, like we it's you're not beating us. We're like losing, okay? Yeah. The difference is like it's important. No, come here you filthy swine, you can have it. Um, yeah, right. So yeah, so the island was left a wasteland until the pestilence stopped spreading throughout it. Finally, the few Saxons left called for their quote odious race of countrymen over to take the island freely, and the only Britons left were a few isolated pockets in Wales and the remote recesses of the woods. The time of the Britons was over, and the time of the Anglo-Saxon domination began. 
Cadwallader in exile begins to desire to retake the island, but an angelic voice tells him God does not wish the Britons rule there again until the moment should come, which Merlin prophesied to Arthur. Which now, is you what, might... like the ass and the fucking... No, you might be thinking, wait, didn't Merlin never talk to Arthur? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Thorpe notes that Merlin never met Arthur, despite this being written in multiple manuscripts. And another manuscript, it says until the time foretold by Merton Emrys before Gwerthairn, which is a reference to when the mountains of Armorica erupt, and Armorica itself is crowned with Brutus's diadem, while the island will be called by the name of Brutus, and the title of the foreigners shall be done away with. So I did a little paraphrasing, but... Hmm. So it's kind of different in different manuscripts. So now the voice told, uh, told Cadwallader to go to Rome... And he would be numbered among the blessed by Pope Sergius. And, when the time is right, the relics hidden in Rome from Britain will be returned to the island, and the Britons will rule once more. Cadwallader had his sons Ivor and Eni travel to Britain to rule the Britons and Wales, and he traveled to Rome, was anointed by the Pope, and promptly died. <laughs> However, over time, the Britons would unsuccessfully harass the English, the first and only time that word is used for the Angles, and the Saxons would rebuild the country while the Britons became known as the Welsh. Damn. The end. So yeah, I mean, uh, I thought we could do a little bit of discussion here at the end. Uh, now, I've never read King Lear, but in this oh, book... Oh, I have. King Lear rocks. Yeah, so in this book we get a very, very rough quick and first uh, version of the tale of king lear yeah his three daughters and then uh we also got you know arthur of britain yeah so uh, what do you think what do you think about the differences or, or how, how these look to the standard portrayals um i mean they definitely feel rough so yeah. i have definitely more personal experience with like the shakespearean takes on some of this stuff so king yeah. lear specifically um Everything is clearly, like, pretty heavily dramatized yeah, and yeah. embellished and made to be a more palatable narrative. Um, yeah. And it sounds like the same is true for the later retelling of our Arthurian legends. Yeah. Um, they're definitely made a little more coherent. Um, it seems like here everything is sort of presented as if it were fact. Yeah. And there's – so the thing that ends up, you know, as a reader kind of taking you out of it is that – a lot of this is pretty clearly made up, but it's not written in a way that emphasizes the sort of fantastic elements of the story. Yeah, it's, it's sort like of presented as like, like it's like offhand that oh yeah, there was this magician. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like okay, well, so a modern reader, or even obviously like a reader in you know the 17th century, like in Shakespeare's time or something, mm -hmm. would want to hear more about that. Would yeah. want to be like, okay, so that guy could do magic. What could he do? Yeah. Jeffrey presents everything sort of like... Blase. Maybe, yeah, and maybe that's sort of with the assumption that, like, later people will embellish on their own. Maybe that yeah. was, like, an understood um, facet of the way these stories were it's passed like, yeah, on what's told, so but... crazy about a Spaniard mage? There's plenty of them over yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, there's tons of them. Everybody knows this Spain is full of magicians. Well, yeah. like, 
as, as a modern reader, we don't have these sort of understandings of the world in quite the same way. So some of the magic is definitely stripped away and lost. Yeah. Um, maybe at the time, this would have been like a really nice sort of amalgamation of previously known narratives about, you know, quote unquote, British history. Yeah. And it would have just provided a, a framework for people to sort of remember and retell stories they already knew. But as someone reading it now who you know, is, is actually just sort of looking for insight into the era. It, it mm-hmm. provides sort of a frustrating look. Um, and I mean, something that we've sort of come back to over the course of this entire series is how nonsensical everything feels. And I yeah. have to hope that at the time that wouldn't have been the case, right? Like mm-hmm. at the time it would have probably been, people would have been able to flesh things out with previous knowledge. And Jeffrey would have hopefully felt like he was just compiling, yeah. you know, uh, the sort of general timeline of a, a set of stories that everyone would have already been familiar with. Otherwise, I can't imagine this being any more satisfying then than it is now. Yeah. But also, I mean, we, we probably just have a different narrative standard for, like, what we expect from a story. And um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this was, like, common, like, Welsh folklores, um, you know, right. Thor- Thorpe talks about that in the introduction to the book, you know, and obviously, you know, there are things too where like Jeffrey's like combining multiple folklores and stuff like that into a new one. Yeah. That whole kind of thing. Yeah. And maybe that would have been recognizable to, yeah. you know, people listening or if they were lucky reading these yeah. stories. Um, I have to also kind of wonder how aware he was that like, most people wouldn't be able to really read what he was writing. Yeah. And so he was, on one hand, sort of recording all these things for posterity, but on the other hand, had to have been at least marginally aware of the fact that, like, no one was really going to be fact-checking him. Yeah. You know, because some of this definitely feels like he was like, ah, who knows, just fucking put down that this happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and again, with a with a modern eye, that can be really frustrating. But I I don't really know what context to take it in because I, truthfully, I don't know much about um, folklore of this era and how people would have told stories and interpreted things and how loosey goosey you could be with uh, a narrative like this and still call it history. You know, yeah. um, it certainly lacks some of the. Uh, cohesiveness and the flourish that you get with things like way earlier works from people like Homer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, but again, that could be the result of editing over the centuries that we're no longer aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't really know. But you read something like the Iliad, and that presents like you know, it's still very clearly like a, a super old story. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, 1,500 years or more older than this, and it, it presents Wasn't a that way... Right? That, that would be, like, almost 2,000. 2000. <laughs> almost, yeah. yeah. And, and that presents, like, a way clearer uh, narrative and a way more uh, effectively constructed image of, you know, the story of the Trojan War and things like that. Yeah. And then even the Aeneid, you know, which, again, is sort of brought up in this story, yeah. um, is, is a lot clearer. So I think it's really just uh, a result of... There's a reason that we call this era the Dark Ages, you know? Well, this wouldn't have been Dark Ages. What is this, 11-something? This is like... Like um, earlier this is like mid- around, medieval? This is like high medieval. No, this isn't high medieval. Yeah. 
yeah, late medieval, you're getting around to like the 1300s because you know the medieval era is over once Constantinople falls in 1453. Damn, this is like high medieval. Well, shit. Yeah, because early, because uh, you have the early medieval period that's you know around like the eighth century, mm-hmm. and then you have high medieval, which is like around like William the Bastard, Duke of Normandy, sure, and all that, and then late medieval is you know around like the the rise of like the Italian uh, republics. And then the fall of Constantinople. Well, in that case, I don't know how many excuses you can make for him. I think Jeffrey was just doing a worse job. <laughs> yeah. There was just no one else who was interested in writing an epic, quote-unquote, history about the peoples of Britain. And uh, good on him, I guess. It was definitely fun, and the stories are cool, mm-hmm. but I feel like you have to do a lot of fleshing out on your own for it to be as exciting and interesting as it could be. Yeah. You know? Um, someone taking this and running with it and doing like a fleshed out, you know, retelling of Jeffrey's Historia Regnum Britonum or whatever yeah. would be pretty badass. Regnum Britanniae would be pretty pretty badass. Yeah, I mean, so uh, keep going. No, that's okay. all. Yeah, so I mean, personally, as somebody who read it, I think I would give it, I would give it two and a half Hephaestian thighs. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it, you know, it early on, like the first couple chapters were just like dog shit. How many um, white worms of Germany would you give it? Well, maybe two three. Yeah, two, two and a half. Well, yeah, they're, they're comparable. One to one. Hephaestian yeah. thighs, white worms of Germany, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Two and a half Hephaestian thighs uh, for a book. The first chapter, dog shit. Second chapter, dog shit. Um, but once, once the narrative starts, you know, tightening yeah. up. Uh, especially our, the, the our, Arthur chapter was baller. Yeah, this was really cool. And I, I think in our timeline, like episodes three and four of our show yeah. are where the story gets really cool. Yeah, and I remember we talked we... about that when we made whatever yeah. that was, episode 17 or 16. Where, yeah. Was it episode 17? 17, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 17 where we talk about um, Merlin and the prophecies yeah. and all that stuff. That was, that I mean, was that, awesome. Yeah, I actually that... think that was my favorite yeah. My favorite part of this story, maybe because I didn't go in with any like preconceived notions about King yeah. Arthur and any expectations, um, I thought that was like the coolest part of the whole yeah. story. But yeah, it, like that whole part, that one and this one, those were cool because like finally he slows the fuck down. Like the first yeah. few chapters, he's just like sprinting through like hundreds of years. Yeah. But like with these few chapters, you know, they take place you know over about a hundred years total. Right. The, the last like five chapters. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's, I don't know, overall, I guess I'd have to agree with you. I, I think this is a really cool story. Um, yep. I think it's tough to look at it as history, which I hope oh, we've yeah. made pretty abundantly clear at this point. That this By calling it pseudo-history like 20 times. Yeah, yeah, it's not really history, but the history of the history of the Kings of Britain yeah. is The historiography. Cool. Right, and... Uh, I don't know how much time we've spent really talking about that, but I think that's one of the things that you and I share a passion for. It's like yeah. the meta, the meta the, analysis, the meta yeah. of history. Yeah, you know, the guys who were writing the books and the gals who are writing the books. Unfortunately, it's largely guys, which is why I said that. But yeah, um, yeah, the people that are writing the books uh, and their I'm, motivations, yeah, and they things have like their that. We agendas. talked about that with with Tiberius. We talked yeah. about that. Um, with Dyatlov a little bit even like yeah. the, 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 the motives behind the recording of history are just as important as the, the resultant recording itself yeah. and I think not, you know, nowhere is that more clear than in, in, in this book it's, yeah. it sounds like it's uh, 
really influenced by the author's biases and setting. And, it's a uh, uh, it's a piece of gonzo journalism. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. That's great. I I wouldn't have thought to make the comparison, but that's a hundred percent what it is. Yeah, the author becomes a character in their own story. Yeah, yeah. and I think Hunter S. Thompson would be proud. I think yeah. he would he would totally agree with you. Yeah. And I say that with utter confidence, having <laughs> yeah. known the man personally. Yep. Um, um, yeah. So well, anyway, thank you so much for taking the time. And that is now 20 episodes in the books. I know. Yeah, we've we've done 20 episodes, which yep. is pretty pretty sweet. Haven't missed a week since we started. Yeah. 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 So we're we're 20 weeks in. Well, no, not really, because yeah. the first couple we were actually record recorded the first like a like month October. or something. No, before. More than yeah, that. yeah, we did it in like October. Last yeah. year, and then released and then it in February. We finally edited them and and released them. But since then, since yeah. the launch of the show, yeah, let's yeah. say since the launch of the show, we have not missed a week. So the the, the episodes three through now, eighteen weeks consecutive. I don't yep. like that. Yep. Hell yeah. That's pretty cool. Hell I'm yeah, brother. Us. Yeah. I'm proud tell, of us, folks. You can tell us that you're proud of us too. You know how we like to be told that you're proud of us? Yep. Just with stars. We don't yep. even need words. Yep. All right. Well, this is starting to go long, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. So thank you, everybody, for listening and joining us on this four-part series of The History of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth. If you have enjoyed this and all or most other episodes that you've listened to, please tell your friends, tell your family about us, tell... Um, if you hated it, tell your worst enemy about us. Um, Mention it in confession. Tell your priest. Tell your priest, yep. We want to get Forgive the... me, Father, for I have sinned. I have masturbated greatly yeah. to this podcast. I anyway. laughed my freaking shaft off at this podcast. <laughs> Forgive me, Father, but I've had just an absolute yeah. gut-busting laugh Forgive off listening. Forgive me, Father, but my nards are fully shredded after <laughs> listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, give us a, you know, follow us on Twitter so that we can have more than like 20 followers. Uh, you know, give, rate us, review us, subscribe, all that good shit. And uh, yeah, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, or don't. No, no, you, shut, you shut the fuck up. No, yeah, dude, <laughs> dude, don't listen. <laughs> don't listen to this guy. I don't know. I don't really want to have to like get good at Twitter. Yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right, yeah. So uh, thanks, and we will see you next time. We sure will. Adios. And I am sitting at my desk Oh no Little cat is right next to my desk He's on my bed Hurry the fuck up That's an easter egg for you When you uh Get to uh Producing the episode <laughs>